0: Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina podcast. I'm Brandon Hall, the Mid Atlantic Regional Director of Scouting. He's Matt Payne, our North Carolina Director of Scouting, and we're here to talk high school baseball with you, Matt. How are we doing? Doing good. Exciting time of year. I know you, you've gotten out of a couple games here as we got in the regional finals, and you know places look packed, and you know it limits us a little bit. Can't get around and get all the video we want and get all the,
1: but you know. Fans are really coming out in droves to see some of these games. Yeah, you got to get there early. Uh, Once you get your spot, you're kind of stuck in that spot. But uh, places I've been, the crowds have been great. Seen some pictures of other places, and it's been packed houses. And a great opportunity for the kids to play in that environment and play with so much on the line.
0: Yeah, no doubt. We're going to get to the regional finals, but we're going to start with some of our our coverage of the summer. Already started, already kicked off. A couple scout days in the books already. Last weekend, Charlotte Megastars, Dry Pond Blue Sox at Moore Park. Uh, a little over 50 players I think in attendance, pro-style workout, took them through an offensive evaluation, defensive evaluation, our swift athletics evaluation, and also bo- pitchers through bullpens. Uh, Matt, let's start with you and start with some of the hitters from from the Megastars. Who stood out going through that workout for you?
1: Yeah, great day with those two orgs and uh, ran by, got to have a good staff, ran by those guys and with the megastars, a guy that really jumped for me is uh, Gabe Gutter, a left-handed hitter. Uh, I think he hit first for that group in 2024, uh, just a athletic, fluid swing. I think top exit at Velo around 98, uh, threw good from the outfield, good day for him. Another guy, Camden Ash, a uh, big physical catcher, um, threw the ball well from behind the plate. I think he went sub two with his pop times, um, mid-90s, exit Velo, swung it well. Uh, they also had a couple, uh, couple infielders I liked, Sam Zielinski and uh, and Brant. I thought showed well. And uh, as usual, the the mega stars had a couple athletic kids and and Jace Lafleur from South Carolina, another kid Micah Irving and and Luke Modrak from Mooresville.
0: Yeah, I was impressed with the depth. You know the, those guys and 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 Jeff McNeely does a good job, obviously professional background um i think he really enjoys their staff enjoys the developmental process <clears throat> so it's not just them showing up it's they want some of the numbers so as they're going through the summer they can show some of the deficiencies these players also really harp on some of their strengths So they're they're you know really focusing hey you're a good runner you need to do these things at an above average level um and the athleticism and some of the long bodies i i, I was impressed just with the overall look and obviously they're wearing red and black and they got the black shirts on, which, you know, slimming and athletic cut anyway. Um, but I think they have a chance and they typically play well in tournament play. You know, when championships are on the line, it's a very competitive group starting with Jeff at the top. Um, but I think this group has the depth to make some noise, you know, when they head to Lake Point, um, you know, for, for, you know, PBR tournaments and not some of the higher level competition they'll play around here.
1: Yeah, I know uh, when we were both coaching, we, we signed kids from, from Jeff's group. And one thing about that group is Jeff's a straight shooter. And, and when you sign his guys, you always knew what you were getting and, uh, and what to expect. And that was always appreciated from our side of it.
0: And one of the things that we look for, you know, in all of these travel teams when we're evaluating them, <clears throat> because there's so many good teams in our area, especially in the Charlotte area, you start talking about the depth of quality of teams, that can compete at a national level on any given week. You know, maybe not favored to go in and win a tournament, but definitely the ability to get out of bracket play and get into pool play. And then you know, depth as much as anything turns out to play who wins championships. There, do you carry twenty pitchers or do you carry eight? You know, the, you, eventually some of these clubs are going to run out of pitching in those types of formats. But teams like the Megastars can definitely get through bracket play. One of the arms that impressed me, uh, Butler High School, 2024, Zachary Gatos. Um, You know, the the delivery was still needs some polish. Um, He doesn't necessarily repeat it, but he's got good direction. He's got good rhythm. Uh, The arm, there's a little bit of effort getting into slot, but once he's there, it's a strong arm. Um, Fastball, 88 to 90. Uh, Breaking ball, 73, 76. Also throwing a slider at 76, 78. You know, I think the stuff still has a ton of room, too, as we look to where he has a chance to be. Next year and the year after, and again, it's a six foot three, 175 pound body. Uh, another another arm that stood out from Legion Collegiate Cooper Botts, uh, actually committed to VMI, six foot two, hundred pound lefty, 84, 87 firm, excellent ride through the zone. That 87 is going to play up. He showed slider 74, 76, and showed feel for a change up. So, um, you know, those two guys kind of stood out, and they had some younger guys too, and Nick Russo a Gavin McDonald and EJ Lewis in the 25 class that I have notes on, on our our quick hitters that we've already posted. So if you're you're wanting to see a little bit more of what the Megastars did, all of their stats have posted, quick hitters on the offense, quick hitters on the defensive guys have posted, and then we've got more information that will be flowing out uh, today, Friday, and into next week on these guys as videos post. We're going to be publishing more to social media as well. Uh, Matt, these guys worked out with the Dry Pond Blue Sox uh, again, an organization that that we know well. Um, you know, some of their coaches do help us, um, you know, with some of our events and some of our scouting. Um, again, an organization that prides itself on some development uh, and an organization that really tries to keep things, I think, at a smaller level. They don't try to overgrow themselves. They're not going to carry two, three, four teams at uh, any one age group because they want to make sure they're spending quality time with the players they have. Um, you know, what did you think of some of the dry pond player, Dry Pond players that were in attendance?
1: Yeah, uh, another good group. A uh, guy that really jumped for me is Cole Blevins. uh freshman, yeah. West Rowan High School. He played a key role in, in in their successful season there and shows up, left-handed hitter, uh, good round of BP, simple swing, not a lot going on, uh, barreled several balls, used the whole field. Uh, I think he was 85, 86 from the outfield, too. Uh, and then they also had a couple physical kids, Micah Dalton and Micah Greer, uh, put up some good exit belows in BP. And uh, Brock Overcash, a uh, physical left hand hitter, had a good round. And uh, just always good seeing those guys and, and their organizations, extremely helpful to us uh, throughout the high school season and then in the summer and fall.
0: Yeah, Dalton was a name that stood out for me on the mound as well. Six foot, 215 pounds, physical. Um, strong, uh, you know, he's, he's got broad shoulders, he's got strength in his legs, um, good rhythm over the bump. Yeah, and, and the ball jumped off his bat, but also up to 86 on the mound. Um, you know, and then some of the other arms, and he's a 25, I, you know, Owen Shipman from Christ the King, Holden Woodward from High Britain, you know, left hander that was really only up to 73, but one of the things that we kind of look at at times is where's the breaking ball. He's throwing, a, he's throwing a breaking ball that flashes depth, um, you know the tilt at times was sharp. Um, he's spinning at 2100 already, but it's it's up to 65. And if it's a true curveball, we add you know 13 to that 65, and now we're at 78. So I think that fastball has a chance maybe to take a jump here quickly. And then of course you're looking at a 25. That's five foot 10, 130 pounds. So even though he's getting into his junior year, you still have some guys that maybe haven't started those those physical jumps yet. Um, you know, that can start in seventh grade for some guys. Some guys don't get it until their senior, maybe even freshman year in in college, Um, you know, but their senior year in in high school, we've seen that. We've seen guys put on 40, 50, 60 pounds over the course of, you know, 18 months and all of a sudden they went from, yeah, we know who that guy is to, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Um, You know, whether Holden figures that out, we'll see, but I think it's an intriguing follow being left-handed, being a little bit undersized and also with, the way he was able to kind of manipulate his breaking ball. I think that that flashes to what the fastball could be. Um, anything like that you're looking for in offensive guys as we're looking at younger players and trying to project
1: how they're going to be as they get older. Yeah, I think, you know, they're working out. You you see the, the grad year and the body type and um, you can ignore the, the metrics a lot of times with those guys because they have so much room for growth with their body and, you know, if they're, they're fluid and some athleticism, the, the exit be lower. or the arm velocity might be, uh, you know, low or lower than others. But you can kind of see that, you know, when that body starts to mature, those numbers are going to jump. And uh, if they have the barrel field, then once they add the strength, uh, you're going to have a good player. No doubt. And we we saw a younger group later
0: in the week. We're going to talk about them a little bit more next week with Regulators Baseball um, out of Mountain Island Charter. And that area is where we worked out. And again, a lot of younger players. And so that evaluation process, I think, is, you know, we've got to figure out where they are in their developmental cycle. You know, have they really started to take that jump? Have they started to add man strength? Are they just going to be physically weak or has it not happened yet? And so, you know, we're, we're going through those notes right now and, and we'll begin to kind of ship some of the information out on Monday on those guys as we're finishing up with Megastars, the Dry Pine guys. Um, and then it, it starts rolling fast from there, Matt. We've got our first open ID coming up, um, the Team Carolina Trials in Charlotte, Wednesday, May 31st. Um, and, and the way the trials work, those scout days and the trials start to funnel you know, into some of our select uh, Team Carolina events, whether it be the North Carolina-South Carolina border battle, which saw 40 college coaches in attendance last year, whether it be our top prospect games, which saw close to 30 college coaches in attendance last year, or whether it's the future games or our brand new PBR All-American games. So this is kind of that top tier of us being able to get fresh information on guys and start funneling them into those events where there's going to be a ton of college eyes, scouts on them, best on best, best versus best, teed up and see who who can who can produce when the lights shine. So I'm excited about Wednesday. What do you got?
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh those we see a lot of guys for the first time. And also we see some guys for the second time wanting to update numbers and, and try to get the leg point for the future games, which is, you know, an unreal event with every college there. And uh, we've had, we took some good teams down there and then obviously the border battle and, and top prospect games are well tracked in, in North Carolina and our region. And uh, I've seen a ton of talent roll through the last few years.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's always neat too, when you get really talented players we see it in the preseason All State. I think we see it in our Team Carolina trials, where some of the better players who have these aspirations of making future games, potentially being a PBR All American, uh, they they get kind of matched up with other players in that same that same drum, and you know we get to shake them up a little bit and see who who kind of compares best on that day. You know, and it's competitive for those guys whether it's running or you know, trying to be really clean on the infield or throwing the best bullpen or, or turning in the best uh, you know rounds of BP, we see those higher-level players actually in those types of events trying to elevate themselves. So that's always an interesting part of the process as we're evaluating. And as you know, it's just a piece. Because once we see these guys in this environment, we saw those guys in the preseason all-state, we like to evaluate them in games too. So we've got tournament stuff coming up with the MPI down at Lake Point, some stuff at Charleston, you know, other events in the Carolinas will kind of be around, you know, and matching those two pieces of pro-style workout versus gameplay as well.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's always interesting too. We have committee kids roll back through and I've talked to some of those guys throughout the spring of, Hey, I'm committed, but I want to get my numbers updated. So, you know, they, they got a buddy that's been to something recently and, you know, putting up better numbers you get the competitive aspect of, Hey, you know, I want, I want my profile to look good too. And then also, you know, from the pro standpoint of, you know, pro guys will turn their attention to the, the 24s here before long and they'll be using our site to check those numbers and then get into our, our pro case next February. Yeah,
0: over 700 players in, in the transfer portal right now. We're getting hit up daily on, um, you know, can I update my numbers? How can I update my numbers? And, you know, with we, we can't really update college guys numbers or you get in some rule stuff, but you know, if their last numbers they saw were a sophomore in in high school, there's not a whole lot we can do. You know, but if you get a guy that just finished his freshman year and now is being asked to, to find somewhere else to play or looking for somewhere else to play, and we have his numbers from the year before, they can kind of show that growth along with the video that's available to them from the college aspects and some of the numbers they were able to get from, whether it's inter squad or live game action or whatever, they can start kind of piecing that puzzle together for the schools that may show interest. So it, it it's kind of a it's kind of a downer part of what we do having to deal. We hate to see kids having to transfer, you know, sometimes it's for the best for them. Sometimes it's just, you know, they they picked a school and it didn't work out. Um, But we are an avenue for that too as well. And so events like this continue to allow those players to build that timeline, almost like a resume. Here's where I was as a freshman. Here's where I was as a junior. Here's where I was as a senior. And scouts and coaches can kind of track that stair stepping, as you were talking about, you know, and build that history.
1: Yeah, it definitely helps when, uh you know, you go your freshman year and, you know, you decide you, you want to leave or need to leave and uh, college coach sees your name and, and they have, uh, you know, recent numbers on, on our site to see and not from, from five years ago. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, we're going to transition into the regional finals and start talking about the eight eight series that are going on. Um, some, some teams have already claimed their ranks in the state championship, but Matt, we have something exciting something for a very first time on our show hasn't been done before and I think it's a, it's a tribute to um, the work that you do. Um, you know maybe some personality between us. Um, the fact that you know we, we are out working and watching a number of players and we've gotten typically you know 500 to a thousand people watching the show or listening to the show each week, we actually have an advertiser now. <laughs> um, and so I'm fired up. I didn't think this day would come. By all means, we are not getting rich off this. Um, but it's it's something that's being provided by the platform that we film this on uh, with Zencaster. And we appreciate them doing that for us. Um, but it's also a product that I, I think hits close to home with the people that listen to us. So I was intrigued by it. I've done a little bit of research on it. Uh, I, I, I tasted it. Um, You know, I, I'm out of shape and in years old. So I don't know that, you know, I'm the, the perfect test example for this, but Liquid IV is our new advertiser. Matt, Um let's talk a little bit about players and, and trying to get ready for, for events and trying to get ready for championships. You know, what are those things that they need? They need sleep.
1: They need to eat right. And what else do they need to be? They got to be hydrated. Got to be hydrated. And, uh, that's one of the easiest things as a young kid to take for granted. I did it. Uh, And then, you know, with the schedule these kids have now uh, in the summer and practice and even with in high school with, you know, the added weight training and schedule. And you look at the teams in the regional finals, a lot of long trips. Got to stay hydrated. And liquid IV gives you an an easy way to do that.
0: Well, you you mentioned it. Long trips, so car rides, plane rides, uh, just being out of our normal rhythm. We're used to, you know, you're seeing college kids right now play at 9 a.m. in the morning. That messes with your rhythms. It messes with your hydration. Liquid IV offers a chance for players to to very quickly and, and nutritiously stay on top of that hydration to be able to perform at their highest levels. Um, you know, I, I've had a chance. I tasted the strawberry lemonade, with one of their new colors. I tasted the tropical punch. Um, it, it goes down easy. It tastes good. Um, you know, it, one of the things when looking into Liquid IV, I, I enjoyed is a one, stick li- a one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. 12 delicious fa- flavors, contains five essential vitamins of B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, and three times the electrolytes of the traditional sports drink. No GMO, free of, from gluten, dairy, and soy, made with premium products. So when we're starting to say, okay, these are things that maybe athletes should take, you know, Those are the, some of the things we're looking for. It, it, are they Are they putting a ton of byproducts? No. This is something that's right there and has a chance to help athletes. Um, if you have interest in Liquid IV, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com. That's liquid, L-I-Q-U-I-D, IV, the letters IV, dot com, and use the code PBRNC23. It's PBRNC, the number's 23. Use that at checkout. It's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using the promo code PBRNC23 at liquidiv.com. We want feedback. If you actually have a chance to do that liquid IV and and get a taste and and let us know how you feel, let us know how it works, Send send us a direct message, send us a text message, send us an email. Um, gosh knows we're reaching out to you guys all the time and giving you information. Send it back to us and let us know what you think if you're able to get that product in your hands. Um, and hopefully we see uh, 16 teams that are well. Now we're down to 14, 14 teams that are hydrated moving into Friday and Saturday as we continue with the high school regionals. Matt, um, we've got two. Let's start with the two that have punched their ticket um, in the 3A. JH Rose swept Southernly. And in the 2A, Burns, uh, did I get that right? Yeah. Burns swept. Morehead. Burns. Say it again. Morehead. Morehead. Um, you know, we, we've been tracking these games on our Inside the Box this week. We've really expanded them to go really in-depth into every single game. Let's start with J.H. Rose and Southern Lee. I know I picked Southern Lee to kind of get through this, um, but J.H. Rose kind of made a statement here in two games, yeah?
1: That they did, and I, I think the key to that series was uh was game one. Uh, Southern Lee had a, I believe it was a four-run lead early, yep. and, uh, you know, J.H. Rose bounced back, got that win in game one. You know, that had to take a lot of wind out of the sails of a Southern Lee to lose a lead like that, and it looked like uh that just propelled Rose into game two and, and you know, kind of poured it on a little bit and ended Southern Lee's magical run this season.
0: Yeah, and, and Rose, Rose, really kind of the two aces. Co- Hugh Collins has really thrown well here in the back half of the of the year, and it's not that like he didn't throw that well early, but anytime you're a transfer, you're the new guy on the new team, you're trying to fill your way through. I think there's a feeling out period there, making sure you you're you're doing what everybody else is doing, and and maybe I think he's finally. I don't want to say he's gotten comfortable, but. You know, the, the stats have taken a, a, a significant bump up as he went seven innings, four runs, two earned, two punches, seven Ks, and North Carolina commit wins game one. And that turns it over to game two when they got Andrew Wallen going. And Andrew's been one of the best pitchers in the state all year.
1: Yeah, he, you know, he showed up at our, our preseason All-State in February down in Greenville, uh, bumped to 91, tons of upside there. And uh, another North Carolina commit that uh, looks like he threw really well last night. Seven innings, two hits, no runs, two
0: walks, seven Ks. But the stat line doesn't tell the story. Right out of the shoot, he retired the first 10 hitters. So J.H. Rose had a chance. Where they played uphill in game one, they played downhill in game two because their starting pitcher said, here's Zeros, go score me some runs. And they did. They scored in each of their first three innings, gave Wallen that lead. I think he faced the minimum uh, plus one. I think he would faced 19 hitters through six innings because uh, he got a double play ball to end the fifth. And then in the seventh, he ran into a little bit of, of issue, um, but was still able to secure the shutout. So J.H. Rose is going to be in one part of the 3A. They're going to face the winner of West Henderson and Oak Grove. Let's stay in the 3A right now since we're there. Um, you know, again, two teams. I've seen Oak Grove. We've talked all year about West Henderson. Um, Oak Grove, a little bit stunning to me, 5-2 winning game one, um, and, and really – uh, rode a- their ace, Jared Lindel went-, went four innings, you know, three walks, three punch outs. If you read that line early, you go, man, Wes Henderson had a shot, but you know, really damage was done early and, and Wes Henderson kind of
1: played downhill that game. Yeah. Uh, O'Grove Grove goes on the road, wins game one. Uh, just looked like they had a, had a solid overall performance and, uh, a couple of timely hits one from, uh, Jake Smith, mega skid kid who we've seen here recently had a good day at the workout. and. Uh, had a good year for Oak Grove, and um, then in game two last night, uh, Truett Manual does what aces do and uh, forced to game three.
0: And we had talked about that. We talked about how is West going to use Truett. You know, they don't get a chance to play downhill in game one, so you just hold him. You don't have to do anything with him. And then uh, all of a sudden in game two, we have to win. Let's start our guy. Seven innings, three hits, one run, no arm, 10 Ks, four walks. That's what aces do. And, and you know, so now it, it's a two-to-one game. They needed every single bit of that because and – and I'm and i going to give college coaches this name. If you're listening to this podcast, we have him as uncommitted. I, if if anybody at Oak Grove is listening and he's uncommitted – he is committed, let us know because we're getting calls daily on him. Ethan Yarborough, you know, we, we talked about his, his game last week against North Iredell. You know, I think he punched seven or eight, three pitches in the zone, was up to 81-82 left-hander. Just a strike throwing machine that flooded the zone. Seven innings pitch, five hits, two runs, four K's, no walks. That's two straight outings now against in the fourth round in the East or in the um, West Finals where he hasn't walked anybody in 14 innings. So, you know, you want to start your evaluation. Let's start it there. He's athletic, the arms clean, he throws strikes. Boom, go from there. If you've got a developmental system in there and you're you're looking for left-handed arms. You know, it may be worth a call to the Oak Grove staff and figure out what's going on with Mr. Yarbrough because that's two really good outings, even in the loss to Wes Henderson at Forces Game 3.
1: Yeah, that was a name we heard uh, back end of last summer too, pitching well in some some PBR events. And a uh, left-hander that, th- that throws strikes and has upside, uh, you know, it'd be a good get for somebody right now.
0: And the 2A, Burns <clears throat> basically rolled through Moorhead. Um You know, we talked about their lineup being deep. We talked about their pitching staff having some depth and having the ability to mix and match. I don't know that I saw these two scores coming. Game one, Burns 7-0. Game two, Burns 13-6. What did you, you know, not in attendance for those games, but watching from afar, watching some video that was put out, reading through the box score, what did you kind of learn about this Burns club?
1: Uh, it looks like a tough bunch of kids. Uh, you know, game one come out, uh, get a couple of home runs from uh, Ben Maunee and Colby Putnam and uh, good, good outing on the mound, uh, combined outing and put up zeros, win game one. And then, uh, you know, last night in game two, Moorhead will have Anderson Nance on the mound. And I was at a game last night, saw the score, wasn't sure if it was right. Uh, you know, and some guys with me weren't sure if it was right, uh, because we didn't expect that with Nance on the mound, but uh, Looks like uh, Burns come out to prove a point And, you know, I think they had eight combined RBIs from Marshall McGowan and and, uh, and Reed Stroop last night. And the, the bats are hot and Burns sweeps the series.
0: Yeah, Ben, ben Monte is a, is a name that's been intriguing to me since I saw him last spring. It's just a long, slender body. He plays with pace, he plays with quickness. Um, and, and so I, seeing him step up in these situations. I'm not real shocked by it. I know the people at Burns aren't shocked by it uh, because it's something he's been doing now for multiple years and, and, and kind of leading that club. And yeah, they jumped all over Nance. Nance went pitching to the second. And one of the things that can happen with these clubs, and one of the things I reasons I love the three game series and, and, and the timing of what these, these series do for teams is it does put some stress on some pitching staff. So, you know, throughout the year, Anderson Nance has had to, had to be the guy at Moorhead. Every time he's out, he needs to win. Every time he's out he needs to pitch in the fifth or sixth, you know, and it's not, they're not riding him. They're not overusing him. It's nothing like that. He's very easily doing that, but there's some stress that comes with it. Um, But we always talk about, you know, especially with staffs I had, you know, if you're going to get 16 starts in the college season, you're going to have four. Ideally, if you're a starter for one of our clubs, You'll have four, where we walk out of the bullpen. I'm gonna go tell our head coach, score early, and we got a chance that the game may be over. You're gonna have four where we walk out of the bullpen, and I'm immediately thinking, Who am I going to next? Because you're just that bad. And then we're gonna have eight in the middle where we make our money. You know, but everybody has those. <clears throat> as good as Anderson Nance was last week, he had one of those this week where as a young pitcher, what do we do when the stuff's not there? What happens when I want to reach back and go get something and it's not there? What happens when I try to go get my slider and it's flat? How do I get out of innings now? And it's a good learning experience for a young arm. And and Burns' lineup is good enough that when he didn't come out as sharp as possible, they made him pay. And I, I look forward. Now Burns is going to move on. They're going to get the winner of South Granville and Camden. And, and I think Burns, from my standpoint, will be favored in that series and kind of looking forward to see what they do as the spotlight kind of continues to shine on them because it hasn't sh- shown in
1: that club all year, even though they've been really good all year. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be different when they get to the state finals. They're not going to sneak up on anybody. And, you know, when you come out and jump on a team's ace like that, then you got a confident club, you got a tough bunch of kids, and they seem to be playing really well right now. And they'll await the winner of a, of a game three between South Granville and Camden County.
0: Yep. The, the visiting team has won each of the first two games. They'll be back at South Granville. Uh, they'll be back at Camden County. Nope. The South Granville on game three, um, game one went nine innings uh, ended up being six, three. Um, but it was one of those games where you're looking at the, at the box score one, uh, both those clubs use some pitching. And so seeing them come back in game two, and get really good outings um, from South Granville. You know, Craig Vatcher worked into the fourth, ran into some problem. Ricky Kern stepped in, bases loaded, comes in the game. Um, you know, trying to hold on to a lead, gets a pop up and two punch outs, and boom, they're out of the inning. That doesn't allow anybody to score. You know, T.J. Norville pitches into the uh, through five, um, but both those clubs needed those outings. Now, who bounces back from that Tuesday game? Which of those arms bounces back and has a chance? To throw up multiple zeros because I think the first club that really strings some zeros will be the club that has a chance to walk away uh, with Burns in their
1: future. Yeah, South Granville uh, did what you have to do. They, you know, down a game, game two, jump out to an early lead and, uh, you know, kind of ride the way from there and, and force a game three.
0: Let's move to the foray, Matt. And we're going to start on the Western side. I know you were at uh, TC Roberson in Northwest Guilford last night. With TC Roberson holding a one game to nothing lead in the three-game series, what did you see last night?
1: Uh, it was an exciting ball game. Uh, got there early; uh, a lot of people already there, and uh, they kept filing in after that. it was just a packed house, good environment. Um, you know, TC had the had the one-game lead. Um, they won an exciting one in Game One, and another extra-inning game in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Bristol Carter led off that game with a home run. Uh, and then, uh, you know, T.C. was able to to tie it up late. And, uh, you know, a, a key thing for me in that game was, I believe, it was the eighth inning and uh, Bristol Carter on third base. Uh, they intentionally walk, I believe, it was Blaze Johnson, first and third, one out. Uh, Philly makes a pitch and change, brings the guy in and uh, gets a ground ball to the Parham brothers there in the middle, and they turn the double play and, and get out of it. And then uh, Micah Simpson, who started the game for T.C., through a great ball game, hits a walk-off home run. And uh, you know, going to game two, he drove in the first run of the game last night for TC in the first inning. Uh Caden Davidson's on base, single to right, scores them, but uh Northwest come back and, and Blaze Johnson, you know, two strike count, uh, just launches a breaking ball into the trees and right. And uh, you know, they they added added on another run there in the second, another late, and um you know, it was a tight game. TC had guys on, I think, in every inning, maybe, but the seventh, and just never could get the big hit. And you got to, you know, credit the, the the Northwest pitching staff for that. You know, Azarello started, kept them off balance, and uh, Justin Webb come in. He he pitched in game one two and and come in last night and uh, threw well and, and shut down the TC lineup.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned this off here, but talk a little bit about it now with us. Is the both of these are older clubs. Both of these, these managers understand their personnel and how well these games have been managed outside looking in on, you know, when are we going to pull the plug on this guy? When are we going to go to the bullpen here? Understanding who's going to get a ground ball, who can get a fly ball, understanding who can bunt, who can run, who can't bunt, you know, things like that make a difference. But, you know, you mentioned how well both these games have been managed in terms of putting their players in really positive positions. And so that both teams can make plays. And sometimes when both teams make plays, the defense wins and they get a zero in the inning. And that's how you end up with with scores of, you know, three, two and nine innings and three, one.
1: Yeah. You know, Northwest Guilford, obviously their lineup stands out and, and you could tell that uh, TC was prepared for that, you know, and they're, they're going to score runs. You're not going to shut those guys out, but uh, you could just see from both clubs last night, uh, both clubs had guys on base at certain times and, would get out of jams. And then you look at the coaching staff and the, the positivity of it, of, of, Hey, this, you know, it's okay. You know, this you know big game and nobody ever looked phased last night. And you can tell it's just uh, two well-coached teams uh, prepared for the moment. And uh, it was, it was really exciting to kind of just, you know, just sit back and watch and, and, and watch how it played out. And I think game three tonight will will be exciting and, I'm pretty sure both clubs knew that with the weather game three would happen tonight before the game ever, ever happened. And, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be wild up in Asheville tonight.
0: Well, I'm becoming believers. You know, I felt like throughout most of the, most of the year, um, definitely the early part of the state tournament, whatever happened in the East was going to that they were, they were going to get to the state title game and the, the East was that much better than the West. It was just a chance just to roll, whether it was gonna be Hanover, Corinth Holders, Wake Forest, just the depth on that side. But watching these two teams go back and forth, I think the winner of the Corinth Holders Wake Forest series is gonna to have to gear it back up. Obviously the state championship they should be dialed in and ready to roll. Um, but a couple weeks ago we could have said, Hey, just get the bus here on time and the East is gonna, you know, will win the series. <laughs> now they're going to game three in the East. Corinth Holders takes game one. Briggs McKenzie's just simply brilliant from all, all indications. Breaking ball uh kept Wake Forest off bases and off off kilter all night. He worked into the seventh, four hits, one run, one earn, five walks, eight K's. You know, and then Cooper Allen, the the ace for Wake Forest, counters in game two. Complete game, seven innings pitch, three hits, one run, one earn, one walk, six K's. Matt, what are we getting into in game three?
1: Oh, and it goes back to Wake Forest. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, we'd love to be there tonight. Uh, ex- exciting game. Two teams that have, you know, just went at it. Uh, you know, it's been tight throughout the game. Got Chippy in game one. Uh, saw some pitchers from both places. They both packed it out. Great environment. And, uh, you know, Briggs McKenzie, tip your hat to what he did in game one, shutting down that lineup and then. Cooper Allen, you know, one of my favorite players in the state, uh, comes back last night in a must win game and uh, was was just dominant. I think it's,
0: uh, and and you're sure they're playing tonight, Friday?
1: Yes, they are playing. They are
0: playing tonight. I think that's an interesting call. Obviously, the weather, we've already moved a scout day off the weekend because the weather is just supposed to be awful, um, which I'm interested to see how it affects some of the college tournaments and are they going to be able to get finished before selection Monday. But for these guys, You know, I I think that really favors Wake Forest. Um, Not that Corinth doesn't have some depth in their pitching staff, but the Wake Forest depth, just in pure talent, can be deeper. The the one holdover from that is some of the Wake Forest arms that they brought back in game one. I'm looking to see if we have all the stats up. You know, Carson Kreider's a really good arm, but he walked three and and didn't get out of an inning. Um, You know, Braden Matala threw well. Uh, Jimmy Lovelace, he went six. You know he's going to be on two days rest. He's probably not coming back, I would guess. You know, but same thing with Briggs McKenzie. He went he went six plus, probably not coming back. It would be my guess. So who's the arm that steps up? Because both of these clubs have some depth there, and both of the, all year we talk about, man, we love their depth. We love their depth, but they haven't had to use it all the time. Who gets the depth to step up and relax? I think being at home helps Wake Forest here.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think Wake Forest has more more depth on that. On that pitching staff, anyway, you know, Corinth still has Jet Music, great arm, uh, injured throughout the year. Um, you know, if if he's a hundred percent, you you look at it as probably they have the advantage because Carson Kreider, we love him, had a great year, but a freshman in a must-win game. I mean, you, you can only expect so much, and I think we talked about it on last time we were on. You know, for for Corinth, you know, if they could win game one with Briggs to get it back home, they would have the advantage. And they got it back there. Wake Forest survived, and you know, I go back to the Easter tournament. All those clubs are at the Easter tournament, so right. uh, the environment and the field is is not as foreign. And uh, you know, I think you got to credit those clubs for saying, "Hey, we'll we'll play during the year." And you know, even if we take a loss, it's it's going to help us come this time of year. And I I think that's showing.
0: One name that's been missing from the Wake Forest stat lines here, as I'm looking, Luke Stevenson was one for four game one, two for two in game two. Cooper Allen, one for three in game one. Um, Two for four with an RBI helping his own cause in game two. Um, Steven Crater, one for three in game one, had a key walk in game two. Um, Carlos Diaz, you know, North Carolina commit, has had some big games for him. You know, typically really, really good hitters in a three-game series. It's hard to keep them quiet for three games. And so I'm interested, again, we've talked about the depth of the Wake Forest lineup, the ability to lean on other guys. I'm looking through these lineups, and the names I really know from both sides. That's the name that's been missing in games one and two. Possibly, and I, you know, call them a shot here. Do we do we lean on Carlos? Is Carlos going to come out and smoke a ball early and get rolling and force the hand of Corinth to half to pitch, maybe to Luke Stevenson, half to pitch to Cooper Allen? You know, set Stephen Crater up. Some of the depth in that lineup where they're going to see a few more fastballs at home where the ball flies.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think they've had the opportunity to walk Luke Stevenson at times, uh, but obviously if guys around him and hit, you can't do that. Carlos Diaz has done that through much of the year been uh, you know, even you just can't sleep on that Wake Forest lineup. And uh, you know, Briggs was dominant in game 1, but Corinth is a tough, tough bunch of kids, you know. I I think, you know, we knew they were good. They're a top team, 10 team in North Carolina, but um you know, to be here for the game three, I, I, you know, I think they're happy with that and they'll feel good about themselves rolling into Wake Forest tonight. And, uh, how's will sure be, Yep, sure to be packed again. And, you know, I know your phone, our phone during these games, you know, we're getting updates and people texting. And, you know, I think outside looking in, you were thinking, you know, if the weather on Saturday, you push it back next week, Corinth may get a chance nice. to run up Briggs McKenzie out again. So, yeah. you know, play playing tonight, uh, definitely, uh, you know, changes, changes that and changes that viewpoint. But, uh, you know, I think no matter who both teams run out or what happens, it'll it'll be a fight till the end.
0: Well, looking forward to following that one. Let's move our eyes to the 1A, the final, the final, uh, group that we have not talked about yet. We'll start in the East where they've only played one game to date. They got a little bit later start in the week. I think there's some field, you know, Voyager Academy moves around a little bit and plays with some different fields at times. Um, and so being able to secure the field for twice this week with some other things going on in the state, um, force game one on Wednesday, game two on Friday, game three on Saturday. So Voyager Academy, Northmore, Northmore wins game one on Wednesday, uh, Bradley Baldwin, 6.2 innings pitched, uh, two runs, one earned, two, two walks, five K's. Um, and it was, it was kind of a, a, fairly clean game. um, yeah, that Malden was just—he was the better guy on the bump. Um, the game never really got away from anybody, um, but Northmore was kind of in control right out of the outset. Um, and so they'll—they'll they'll turn around, and play game two here tonight. Knock on wood, and ideally be able to get game three in somewhere, find a window tomorrow. Um, and in the West, we're going to see a game three. Um, is that right? No, No, that that was done. I just hadn't marked it yet. Yari Charter advances over Eastern Randolph. They win game one four three. They win game two eight one. Great run by Eastern Randolph, who came into the tournament maybe as the longest shot of any of the teams that got to this area. Um, You know, a losing record, but again, like you say, they play in one of those split conferences where sometimes we just don't have a really good feel of how they match up with like teams. Um, But they acquitted themselves extremely well in this tournament. And and probably the better team moving through with the RE Charter, who's had a great year.
1: Yeah, uh, one thing that jumped for me in that series is Eastern Eastern Randolph three run lead in game one, and uh, UHARI just chipped away, you know, a run here, run there, you know, get back, end up uh, end up winning it. And then uh, Jake Connor was on, you know, an arm we like went to Junior Futures with us, was just outstanding last night. Uh, complete game, you know, added a hit at the plate also.
0: Three hits, one run, no earn, four K, four walk. Um, obviously, with younger guys, they can work around those walks. Sometimes that number is a little bit inflated just because situation. But seemed like he was in control the entire game, and that's big that a a younger player giving them a, a CG in that type of environment bodes really well moving into the next week, where they're going to see either Northmore or Voyager, you know, two clubs that have at times been offensive this year, but two clubs that really battle one to nine in their lineup, you know, and put some pressure on guys, you know, but Yori, I think has of the teams left in the one a probably the most depth on the mound, um, just from what we've been able to see a little bit in person, but definitely on, on the box score. So, um, three teams are through. So I was wrong when I said two earlier, three teams are through. And then we've got, uh, what is that? four that five left five slots left is that right there's eight slots. so three through five slots left for the state championship as i'm trying to do math on my head on a live podcast i apologize for that um been a great week matt there is there anything else we can expect moving forward obviously we're going to talk about the state championship series next week as they are finally set
1: yeah i think uh you know going to be some really exciting games tonight um You know, they've played true to form so far. Every every game's been close, uh, especially in the 3A, 4A, uh, extra inning games. Um, You know, I think uh, our phones will be blowing up tonight. And, um, you know, wish we could be at both places. But, uh, you know, we'll be be following along and uh, be be some great baseball tonight.
0: Well, I'm excited to get back with you next week and talk about everything that happens over the weekend. Uh, We'll be back on our normal routine next week we'll shoot on Wednesday post on Thursday as we get ready for the championship series. We'll be able to talk about a couple of the scout days that we've run through. And then also talk about, you know, what's coming up with team Carolina trials. So we're going to see a lot of great players here over the coming weeks. Continue to subscribe, hit that subscribe button. If you hadn't already, if you like what we're doing, uh, hit that like button, make sure this is appearing in front of friends and family. who are also following on YouTube or on Spotify or on Zencaster. And we appreciate all the love we're getting. Um, because everybody, Matt and I have talked about this. We go to games and everybody's like, I, I know you, you're the guy from the thing and we go, yeah. And nobody that's come up to us has said, oh, yeah, I hate what you guys are doing yet. So <laughs> I know there's probably people out there that feel like, they no, I appreciate you not coming up and saying hi to us, but you know, it's been very, very great or good feedback from everybody we run into Matt.
1: Yeah, it has. And, uh, you know, we enjoy doing it, talking baseball and, uh, high school baseball is important to us and we enjoy getting to cover it. And, uh, you know, give them a platform and uh, be some exciting baseball tonight. Absolutely. He's Matt Payne.
0: I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball of North Carolina podcast, and we'll see you at the field.